I prefer to treasure these things in my heart. You know that if you try to write every single thing he did, the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Hmm. A disclaimer. That's good, I'm going to say that. You see, Mother, if I do not write these things down, they will be lost to history. James would agree. Where will you start? In the beginning, naturally. I'm just, um, not sure which beginning. His birth. Earlier. His ancestry? I'm pretty sure Matthew has that covered. But... <laughs> Maybe the prophecies, the promise to Abraham. I thought about starting with Abraham, but still so much came before him. What was before Abraham? Noah. And before him? A garden. Mm -hmm. well, we could start there. But I wanted to be known that he was much more than what can be seen or, or touched. What was before the garden? In the beginning, the earth was formless and void. I cannot hear it without thinking of you too. I cannot believe how much he put up with. Others, they will not even remember the sound of his voice. They'll just be words. He said they weren't just words, remember? Heaven and earth will pass away. But, but my, my words, words will never, never pass, pass away. away. I get it. I get it. I really am open to suggestions for the reading. I couldn't. After today, after yesterday, I do not feel very much worthy. Who's worthy of anything? You? But no man, apparently. I'm a man. John. And yet, I am who I am. 
Have you made your selection, Rabbi? Rabbi? Almost. Sorry. Uh, almost. They're getting restless out there. So, do you have a favorite passage from the first five? Um, do you? I don't know. I like them all. <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> I suppose I, I love the beginning. Hmm. I love how God simply spoke and, and the world came into being. Yes. As David wrote, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. You know, the Greeks use word to describe divine reason, what gives the world form and meaning. I like that. <laughs> and it is a favorite memory. A reading from the first scroll of Moses. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was the Word. And the earth was void and without form. And the Word was with God. And the darkness covered the face of the deep. And the word was God. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Feels like just giving that a round of applause. If you are new to church, 
new to impact uh, visiting today. We are in a series called The Genius of Jesus. And in this series, every weekend, we're doing a coupling with a video from this, uh, this incredible new storytelling of who Jesus is called The Chosen. And I just, at every juncture, at every angle, I want to encourage you to, to take advantage of this gift that we have, as the church have been given. The funding for this is all by the people. They have their own app, so they're not beholding to any production company or to any Hollywood group. And they are presenting the gospel in, in, in a visual form that helps scaffold us closer to Jesus. So I just want to encourage you to partake of this gift. Uh, this particular clip and what we're going to be talking about today comes from the second season, the first episode of the second season, if you want to watch the whole thing. But here's what we're going to do. Uh, for, tho for those of you who don't know uh, me, my name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here. And we are going to, I am going to, with your help, I am going to dig into the first chapter of the Gospel of John today and how he wove it, just as we saw in this depiction, with the first few verses of the first book of the Bible, Genesis. And it has been a week as I have as I have pushed to produce this, as I have tried to understand the magnitude and the scope and the magnificence of the God who loves you and created you and who made you on purpose with a purpose. In church today, I wanna get into this and I wanna revel in the grandeur of God together for the next 40 minutes. Can we do that? Amen. I want to evaluate what it is that, that God and who he is says about the purpose and the goodness of life and why you are here and what you are about and what you get to go and be about and you get to go and you get to do. It's extraordinary. And we're in some foundational stuff. Yeah. We're, we're, we're in some things that literally are cosmic in their, in their imperative. As we try to understand and wrestle with this, I'm going to do my level best. But I'm telling you, it made my spirit royal this week. Time and time again, as I tried to even comprehend and put together what we get the privilege of discerning and understanding about our God. The passage that they, that they speak, that Jesus and John speak together is actually from Psalm 33, 6. And I thought, what a fitting way to start. Uh, let's, let's, let's listen to what King David wrote. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry hosts by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Now, when we sing songs like So Will I, we hear such deep, 
It's such rich theology. And that's not meant for you just to hear it and understand something. It's for us to hear it and to make something. It's for us to understand it and, and take it in and take it out. To breathe him in and breathe him out. So that's what we're going to try to do today. The, this, this conversation, it just struck me as, as, I was, as I was putting this together this week and as I was watching these vi- this video clip, I just thought back to this moment where God actually introduces himself to the author of the book of Genesis, Moses. Here's the context. Moses is literally trembling in his figurative boots, although he had to take them off because he's on holy ground, so he has no boots, okay? He is being introduced to God. God is in a burning bush, though the bush does not burn, and God has a calling on his life, on Moses' life, to go to Egypt and to rescue and free the Hebrew people from uh, bondage and slavery to the people of Egypt. And, and Moses is terrified by this calling. He's, everything in his past tells him that this is not a good idea, but God in the burning bush is saying, Moses, I want you to do this. Now, Moses says, he has a question. He has a question I think is very reasonable, and I think every single one of us would ask. He says, who shall I say sent me? They're, they're, they're going to have some questions, God. Not only are the Egyptians who rule the world, the empire, when I walk in and I say, let go your entire economic base, all the slaves, free them, they're going to want to know on whose authority I do that. And, and oh, by the way, the people, the Hebrews themselves, they might not just want to go out and wander around in the desert unless they know who they're wandering around in the desert for. You mind telling me? What your name is? And here's how God responds. He says, I am that I am. Now, why is that important? Here's what struck me. When you know who you are, you don't have to say a whole lot, do you? I I was talking to several people in the lobby just this morning about how anxiety and some things are just pressing in and 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 they've been really pulling them away from from following the Lord and, 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 and sapping some of their energy. And it occurs to me that when we know whose we are, we can have the same confidence and the same assurance. We walk into situations and we aren't shook the same way. And you know what? We don't need to be loud the same way. It transforms and it changes who we are to understand who the I am is that we belong to as a church. And so I hope today that as you become a little bit more familiar with the I am, that it will be transformative to your confidence and to your assurance as a follower of Jesus. First gospel, first chapter of the gospel of John, verse one, says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Paralleling to Genesis says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, church, have you ever tried really, really hard to get someone to love something you love? Is there something that you can think of that you just love with all of your being and with all of your heart and you want the other person to love it the same way you do? How about your spouse? 
Do you have some things that you love that your spouse is just not all that interested in? I have several. I love wakefulness. I love energy. I love to be active. I love to use the, the hours of the day and to make things. I want my wife to love seizing the day. But my wife loves sleep. She really does. We'll be married 17 years this, uh, this spring. And she is unconvinced that, that, that energy and wakefulness and getting up early is a good thing. I bounce awake at 5 a.m. And I want her to bounce awake at 5 a.m. I, I, I still do this. I roll over. Hey, we got the day in front of us. And to this day, I get, get out of bed and leave me alone. There are things you love. There are things that you just are, you vibrate with excitement about. There are things that you want other people to love as well. I, I want you to know in the beginning was the word. And I want to stop there. I sometimes want to get off this stage and I want to come down. And I literally want to open up your mouth and feed you the word. Because that is how much I love it. And that's not supposed to be just me. That's supposed to be us as a church. To consume and to eat and to understand and to deepen and to grow in our faith. In the beginning was the word. You're not, you're not going to believe this, but we're going to stop the first genius of Jesus. We're going to hit five of them today. The first one that we pull out of these two passages is the genius of primacy or the, the, that Jesus was first before all. That Jesus, that Jesus was beginning before anything began. That Jesus existed in eternity. It has massive implications on our daily life. He, he is the first and the last, the firstborn over all creation. This passage tells us that the word or Jesus was with God at the beginning. And that with God means he is co-eternal with the Father, that he is of eternal essence. And that effect, has a, it's a massive effect on the idea of time. He actually said it later in John's gospel. He said this, glorify me, he's talking to God, glorify me with the glory that I had with you before the foundations of the world. Jesus had a glory and a unity with God because he is God. And we're right there now in these foundations. He's the alpha and the omega, the supreme one who is over all creation. That means he is, that means he is before and he is after. See, we're, we're, we're learning some things about the fact that God actually is the creator of time in the beginning. And this has massive ramifications on how we live inside of time. Yes. Colossians 1.18 says it this way, he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in 
in him. He's the beginning and the end. He's the everlasting author of time itself. If we can wrap our minds around time as a created dimension, which I don't know if any of you like to read quantum physics. I love to read quantum physics at about 5.30 in the morning. It's really enjoyable. Quantum physics can indicate if you were to put whiteboards around the circuit of this room and you were to use uh, mathematics, quantum physics can prove that there are, there are about 11 dimensions and we live inside of four. Wow. So, so the idea of time, we can prove it's a dimension. If we can prove that it's a dimension, if we can demonstrate that it's a dimension, it means that there are things outside of time. That will mess with your head if you think yeah. about it long enough. So, applicably though, right? Let's bring this home. I, there's a graveyard just down the road from my house. And don't think me morbid. I think some of you think I'm morbid sometimes because of some of the stories. I'm not morbid, I promise. I will take my kids and we like to walk through the graveyard and we like to read the stone markers that are an indication. And on those stone markers, there is a date that indicates when we are born. And on those stone markers, there is a date that indicates what I'm gonna call a second birth or a second entry point. We call it death, but the reality is if we are made by an eternal God who defined time and breathed essence of himself in us, we are eternal beings. And that changes that changes everything about the way we actually live. When you consider that you were born into and that you will leave and go back into a eternal existence, then that should have an effect on what we do with our every day. Amen. Jeremiah 1, 5 says this, before, listen, before I formed you in the belly, I knew you. And before you came forth out of the womb, I sanctified you. You come from eternity. You were created in eternity. And that death date, that second birth date, indicates you leaving what is here. Man is but a flower. We grow up and poof, we are gone. This 80 years that we have is nowhere near the sum total of our existence incomprehensible, I know, but far beyond. He is the alpha. He is the omega. He is before the beginning began, and he is after time ends. We are so worried about the goings on in the world, aren't we? We're obsessing about what's happening with Russia and Ukraine right now. We're, 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 we're undone compulsively undone by our schedules and our task lists and the things that scoop up our attention every day. And we start to get frenetic and we start to vibrate with this busyness. And I'm convinced in the United States of America, busyness has begun to become one of the most effective tools the enemy has to move us away from who Jesus is. And because it's so subtle, it seems so subtle that we end up becoming possessed by the schedules we think we possess. We, we, we become obsessed by the thing that is supposed to be a tool, a beneficial tool. Here's what Jesus said. 
He said, who of you by adding or who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? See, see it, the passage is the word was God, that is logos, incarnating to enter into chronos. Chronos is the Greek word for our concept of time. That God before the beginning found a point and a place to enter human history, to become like us in his divine reason, to show us how to live with an eternal perspective. Church, we need this so bad. Jesus enters and he is with us and he lives in the flesh. And you know what he was not? He was not hurried. He was not harassed by time. He was not in a race against time. He didn't battle time. He was richly present with people. He was a non-anxious presence with people. He dwelt with them in the moment because he wasn't trying frantically to add more between his start date and his end date. Trying so hard to add more that he was actually losing what he had. He wasn't. He didn't. He showed us something different. I think Jesus was slow. I think he lived a life very different from 90% of our fast-paced, breakneck, crazy speed of life. And I want to I take that in, and I want to breathe that out into the environments that we go, that we are eternal, that trying to add one hour by jamming more into our lives, only removes us from present interactions with people that need to see the presence of Jesus in our life right now. So I, my prayer has been that this example of slow will liberate us from that harried pace. He goes on, John 1, 3 says this, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. Genesis 1, 1 says God created, it in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. This is the second genius of Jesus. It's the genius of creator. He's our maker. He's Jesus, our maker, and it is out of the emptiness. Emptiness translates from the Hebrew disorder and void. Void translates chaos. Out of the disorder and the chaos, he brings meaning and order. See, the Greeks did, they used this word logos, and it was to describe word or declaration, to describe divine reason, an original causal being, what gives the world form and meaning. In the beginning, God. Jesus is the architect. Listen, this is what John is saying. Jesus is the architect and designer of anything that happens after those first four words. Without a pencil or a paper or a computer, he designed the mitosis of the cell. 
the synaptic arch of a neuron, the regeneration of soil, the axis and spin of the earth, the form and function of thermal dynamics, the planets, the stars and galaxies. He flung them into existence. The black holes of quantum physics, the hemisphere, the stratosphere, the atmosphere. Are you getting it? He is the creator before into the void, into the nothingness. He goes, he is drawn to making meaning. And that has incredible, incredible implications to what he has called us, his primary creation to be like him. Meaning makers, creators of purpose, taking agency over all dominion, over all that he has created. There's... There's, there's really a key concept here that I fear, I fear for so many decades, maybe, maybe, maybe 150 years even, that we have, been, we have bought into and we have been inundated with in the worlds of education and intellectualism and academia and the, the sciences. I want to declare to you from these first foundational verses, you are not a cosmic accident that, cl that cr climbed out of some primordial soup 250 billion years ago. There can be very few things that are more detrimental to understanding your worth or your value than to thinking you are accident. There is nothing accidental about you. God looks and he sees emptiness and he sees voids. He's the gap filler. Jesus is the gap filler. He's drawn to those places. Hey, you got any gaps, church? You got any empty places that you need filled? You got places that you continually are trying to numb and put other things into? To try to, to, try to fill yourself? To try to keep yourself going? Now, now, from these foundational passages, he moves into those empty places. He is drawn to those empty places. Sometimes the hardest thing for us to do is the simplest thing, and that is to simply surrender the emptiness and the voids and say, come, Jesus, gap filler. Therefore, you, I was created to give you those places. This word Created in Hebrew is bara. Can you say bara? Say bara. It means that he created with no pre-existing substance. Get that. It means that he declared out of nothing and brought something to being. There are so many parts of us that desperately need this. In Colossians 1.17, he said, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. This is wild, church. This is just wild. This is one of the places I went and I started studying like the empty spaces that science can define that it says actually exists, but it has no idea how that empty space actually works. Have you read up on dark matter lately? Anybody reading on dark matter lately? Hey, we got a dark matter reader. You can check my facts later. I, I, there is a disclaimer. Just like John, I want to give you a disclaimer, okay? 
I am not myself a quantum physics, far from it, scientists or, or anything like that, but I studied this week. 90, 90 plus percent of the known universe is made up of dark matter. And what science can tell us is that it exists, but nothing more. We, yep, it's there. It, it, can, it can move through, particulates of dark matter can move through your body and do. Right now they are. This freaked me out. In and out of your body, through your body, through your bones, the density of your bones, with no traceable effect. If, if you took, and, and this is just empty space, this isn't even dark matter, if you took the atom that comprises you and you compressed those atoms, 7.6 billion people in the world they're doing math here. These are the math that cover the whole, the whole room, right? If you took all of the empty space that exists inside of you, which is, again, plus 90%, and you condensed it, theoretically, the primary matter that would remain could be fit inside a sugar cube. Now, please don't quote me. Please don't leave here and say, well, Ryan said that, you know, this is how much. But the reality is we are comprised of enormous amounts of empty space that science has a horrible time trying to define. And here in Colossians, it says, in him all things hold together. That if God, for just an infinitesimal second, were to decide that gravity was unimportant, you would disintegrate where you sit right now. The scriptures have told us since the beginning that God holds us together. Amen. That he sees us, that, that it is out of him that that consistency is comprised. And I just, I want you to think about the implications that he loves you so much that he sees those voids, that he fills those voids, that out of common grace, he is constantly attentive to the spaces of you that are empty and that spiritually, that he wants to be the one who fills the gaps, provides the meaning, brings the order to the disorder in our lives. Amen. That he is creative. There's actually only one, there's only one act of imitation in the, in the whole of creation. There's one thing that is imitated. We're gonna move into that in, uh, next here. John 1, 4 says this, in him was life and the life was the light of men. Genesis 1, 2 says this, and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The third genius of, of Jesus is the genius of life. He's the life giving Jesus. He's the breath giver, the ruah of life. That is to say, his spirit that enlivens and quickens and inspirits us, that it produces life with limitless capacity to reproduce. He's the original generator and regenerator of our degeneration and our death. When John refers to the beginning, listen, Jewish Jewish readers would have gone back to God created the heavens and the earth by speaking them into existence. 
He spoke logos, the divine reason. He expressed and the the galaxies were born. He created things by declaring them. But when he gets to his primary creation, us, when he gets to his image bearers, he slows way, way down. Genesis uh, 2 verse 7 says that he gathered, look, look, he gathered the dirt, okay? Everything else he's spoken into existence. The angels have watched him speak everything else. They've, they've kind of caught the pattern of how God is creating other things. But suddenly he's down playing in the dirt. Imagine the creator. Imagine Jesus at the, the beginning. He's playing in the dirt. He collects the clay of our vessel. He shapes and forms and sculpts the, the crevices and the pieces and the parts of Adam, earth. And he's touching. See, church, he's forming. He's connecting with. He's, he's tactile with us as people. Very different than the declaration of other things into being. No, no, this one, this one will carry my image. It will bear my representation to the world. And then he doesn't stop there. It says, after he formed out of the clay, he wrapped his lips around the face of Adam and he breathes into Adam life. See, before Adam is still just clay. He's an empty vessel. But when God at the beginning breathes his spirit into Adam, it brings him to life. And he opens his eyes. And the first thing he sees is the face of God. Now, quick turn here for you. How many of you have watched the PBS documentary, My Life is a Turkey? Any turkey hunters in here? I've got one person who watched My Life is a Turkey. That is awesome, dude. See me after. I'm going to give you some kind of prize for that. It's, it's a little bit as weird as it sounds, but if you're a turkey hunter, you really, really get into it. There's a guy who was brought a, a batch of turkey eggs from a neighbor down the road. He's a biologist, and um, he decides to hatch these turkey eggs out and then live with them for a year as a turkey. <laughs> and he does it. I mean, I'm not even joking. It's like very, it's quirky like a turkey. You know what I'm saying? But it is amazing what he discovered about this idea of imprinting. That's how they define it in biology. That when this turkey cracks open this egg, this turkey chick, and it drops out of that egg and it looks up and it sees the first thing it sees, it's kind of chortling to it. I'm glad there are no turkey hunters in here. But that's, that sound begins to communicate to, to, the, to the brain of that turkey chick and it imprints on that person and that is mother that is the thing that will hover over that will protect that will teach me when adam opens his eyes filled with the breath of god and he sees god imprinted on him and imprinted on each 
one of us is an understanding that we were made on purpose by a creator intentionally because he loves us and he wants a relationship with us and he will hover over us and that he is our eternal God, our eternal logos, our why. Here's why this is important. Here's why this is important. Jesus then enters into our existence in the flesh. And when he does it, he is in this pitched battle with death, with our destructive tendencies, with our continual rejection of who he is. And when he comes in, he has to convince us of something. And every day he's still convincing us of this something. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Now listen, some of us get, get caught up in trying to love our neighbor way before we've loved the life that God has given us. In fact, it'd be super easy for us to actually, to actually spend a whole lot of our mental energy and our mental construct disdaining the life that Jesus gave us. And I'm here to today to declare to you that even in the stories that he told consistently throughout the Gospels, he wants you to know that you are preposterously loved. That you are recklessly loved by him. Yeah. That, that the cost, the incomprehensible cost of him saving you is because your life that he gave you, that he's the author of, is worth so much more than you can comprehend. If you needed to come in here today and understand that you, oh beautiful human, that you carry his image and that he cares more about you than anything else in the cosmos. You, your life is precious to the creator who gave it to you. Number four of our genius of Jesus. The passage in John 1, 4 says this, the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. This gets good. Genesis 1, 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. This, this fourth genius of Jesus is that Jesus is a luminary. He is enlightenment. He drives out the darkness and chases away our blindness, church. He, he wants to come into the chaos. He wants to come into the void and push out the disorder and push out the emptiness and fill it with his warmth and his light in all aspects of our acceptance and our reception to his gift. In the first creation, uh, one, of the the, uh, one of the theologians and commentaries I read says it this way, in the first creation, darkness was upon the face of the deep until God called light into being. So the new creation, that is us, involves the banishing of spiritual darkness by the light which shines in the word in the person of Jesus. And maybe you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death right now. And, 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 and there's some dark things in you. This is, this is what it's like to live in a sin-broken world, but I want to declare some things to you to this morning. The addiction, that darkness you're struggling with, in Christ, that, that addiction will not overcome you. Amen. It will not. 
The, the divorce you're going through in Christ, that divorce will not define the rest of your life. That, that your singleness that you've never felt comfortable with or that identity that you're not sure about, in Christ, that singleness will not be the sum total of your identity. Amen. You understand? He will stamp a new identity on you. Whatever the proclivity, whatever the thing that pulls you away from him, you need his identity and he will give it and it will drive out the darkness. Yeah. This Last month, there has been an enormous amount of loss in our church to death. But hear me, loss of a loved one that you've just endured, in Christ, that loss will not ultimately overcome you. Death will not overcome you because Jesus is co-eternal with the Father and you are his creation, made for more than that space on your stone marker. If you, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And if you know who he is, that statement is a direct hit to carry you through until your glorification with him in eternity again. Remember as a child, I remember when I was a kid, I would ask my parents, probably incessantly, because I was really, really concerned with this for a period of time. Uh, uh, do, do the good guys always win? Dad, do the good, in the end, do the good guys win? And what we're asking as kids is, does the light always drive out the darkness? And the answer ultimately is yes, according to who Jesus, the word, the son of God is. Listen, when you say the name of God into the dark places and you cry out the name of Jesus, a cosmic nuclear reactor detonates, church. Witches flee and demons tremble and Satan shudders. When you cry out, Yahweh, God Almighty, Jesus, Savior, every enemy and adversity staggers at the concept that we are not here by ourselves, that we are not an accident, but that we came and descended from the mind of God, from the thoughts of God, that the nobles of God considered us, that God thought us and stepped out of nothing and created us because he is the epicenter of life and the light of all. He said, let there be light. And there was light. Follower of Jesus, child of God, try to understand the weight of this glory this morning. To be shaped and formed and filled by definition imprinted with God's DNA. When we go through situations with our Savior's light in us, darkness backs up. Because here comes the word of God. Look at, look at, back up darkness here comes God. Back up isolation. Here comes the word. Back up mood swings. Here comes God. Back up fear. Here comes the word. Back up depression. Here comes the word. Back up anxiety. Here comes God. Back up hopelessness. Here comes Jesus to save the day. Back up rage. Here comes the word. Back up death. Here comes the life and the light to save the day. Get ready, church. Get ready ready for a new thing because that's what God does when he shows up in your life. John 1:14 says this. We jumped. If you're tracking, we jumped from the 5th verse down to the verse that best describes what incarnation or coming into life with us 
actually means. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father. Full of grace and truth. The fifth genius of the word is Jesus with us. With us. Not staying out there. Not, not way over outside of us. But with us. See, I think the most important miracle of the Bible is unquestionably the empty tomb. Because without the resurrection, you and I are dead. And that's a problem. We're dead dead without the resurrection. But I think the most remarkable miracle of all the Bible is the incarnation. Because when you think about it, when you consider that he is the maker, the creator, the eternal one, is it all that big a deal that he actually walked on water? Come on. Think, think with me, just, just for a second. If he created the molecular structure of water, and then he said to his guys, I need you to go to the other side, fellas. Go to the other side of the lake. I'll stay with the people right now, and then I'll, then I'll go. And Peter's like, again, you, you put me in charge. You need to come with us. No, go, go. And Jesus just kind of walks across the water. And the guys are in the middle of the lake. They haven't even reached the other side. And here comes what appears to them to be an apparition. Is it really that impressive that he actually walked on water? If he's the maker of water, that he can surf on water, he can put fish in water, that he can drink water, that he can make water dance if he wants to make water dance. He can calm water if it's getting a little too rough in the boat. Or how about, how about this? As the constructor of matter itself as the constructor of cellular structures, when, uh, when he multiplies a happy meal of, of five loaves and two fishes and he feeds thousands of people, it's kind of like, you know, to him, I don't know that he was all that impressed with his own miracle. Because he did it. He's the creator. He knows exactly the, the everything about that thing. Or, or how about this one? Resur he's the resurrection and the life, and he shows up four days late to his best friend's funeral, and he's like, I didn't really like that you died, so can you wake up? And everybody else is like, Whoa. He breathed the ruah of life into humanity in the first place. Is it all that big a deal that he rose, that he, that he called Lazarus to life? No. But the incarnation to enter into us, to enter in with us. This is extraordinary. The fact that Jesus, co-eternal with the Father, the word before there was a beginning, light of all, decides to step out of heaven and become one of us, with us, part of us, so that he could know us and love us and experience what we have experienced. That is astonishing. That is a shocking miracle right there. Hebrews says it this way, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So if you are going through some stuff today, maybe you're let down by a friend, 
Maybe you've been betrayed by a business partner. Maybe you're not sure where your next paycheck is coming from. Maybe you don't know what to do about a relationship that you're really struggling with. Maybe there is a sin or an addiction that just keeps trying to take you captive. The incredible part about the incarnation is that Jesus knows. He knows what that is like. He's in it with you. Not apart from it, but a part of it. He's a part of all of that with you, church. I, uh, I wasn't quite sure whether I should give you this illustration, but I'm going to give it to you. There's a couple of theologians that there's, there's this commonly known uh, illustration of the incarnation. And the analogy breaks down at some level, but I think it's a good one. Here's, here's what it is. Um, the writer, the author of this, uh, of this story actually lived in the upper level of an apartment complex. And there was a little boy that lived at the, uh, on the lower level with his family. But this was, wasn't any, just any little boy. This little boy was, we'll call, a terrorist, okay? A psychotic terrorist. Parents, you understand? And how many of you are familiar with big wheels? You remember the big wheels? Raise your hand if you uh, ever had any experience. Oh, yeah, we've got some big wheelers in here, right? And this little boy would park his big wheel and he would sit on it inside of the shadow of the garage, the overhead door, and he would wait. And you know what he was waiting for to terrorize? the ant population on the uh, apron of the concrete in front of the garage. He would wait until they would form their lines and he would take his big wheel and he would go full bore and he would hit those ants in a sideways spin and send them smeared across the surface of the concrete. Now here we have our theologian upstairs in the second story. And this theologian is kind of like, well, I don't love ants, but gosh, do we really need to be doing that to the ants all the time? And he decided, one day he, he, he tells the story this way. So one day he came down uh, the stairs and he finds this little boy smearing jam with a knife across the surface of the concrete to collect, to, to draw the ants. I mean, you know, you know what ants are like. They're like, oh, sugar, everybody come. We got to come to the sugar. And they're collecting in mass. And he, the psychoterrorist is back inside of the garage and he's just waiting, you know. And, and, and the, uh, the, the blogger, the theologian was like, it struck me all of a sudden like, I want to rescue these ants from this terrorist. I don't even care about ants, but I don't like this. But how would I? How would I? If I got a megaphone and I stood over top of him and I said, hey guys, watch out. There's a horrifying being hiding in the garage and he's going to come out and smear you all over the concrete. You know what the ants would keep doing? Enjoying their sugar. <laughs> and, and he said, no, if I were to actually save the ants, if I were to be able to communicate to the ants, I would have to become an ant. And I would have to figure out how to communicate with the ants in a way that they would understand. And what I would tell them is, we really need to gather up as a whole, leave this particular colony, cross the road to that nice green yard over there, and never come back near the terrorist. Jesus looked at us, and he saw what we were consistently and constantly consuming that was moving us 
as far away as possible from his goodness and his light and out of his immeasurable creativity and his immeasurable goodness, he decided to penetrate time itself, to enter into human history, to actually walk with us, and not just to save us. And this is where we'll end today. This is where we'll leave it. But to dwell with us. There is a difference. That he wants to save you unquestionably, that you desperately need saving. Absolutely true. But from the garden, from creation itself, through the Old Testament, there's this idea of tabernacling. And that was that God would come and he would dwell inside of the circle of the people. And they couldn't come, they couldn't come to, to actually be in the Holy of Holies, but at least he was with the people. So from creation, when we push him out to tabernacling to Jesus, when Jesus comes in, into human history and is with us in the flesh. It doesn't stop there. It moves to Pentecost. And what happens at Pentecost? Instead of just being with us and dwelling with us, we actually get the Holy Spirit who abides in us, church. That God through history is continuing to desire to be with you and me for a purpose, that as he is in us, we can go out and we can dwell and reflect his image to the world. If you know Jesus, the word, the Lord, and he is your savior, when you walk out those doors today, I want you to know, to feel, and to believe that the grandeur of God, the greatness, the inexplicable, incommunicable sometimes attributes of God go with you and they go with you in a way that you are surrounded by him, that his presence is with you and that the spirit of God is in you and you can be, because of that, you can walk that way with your head up and your eyes alert. You can live that way every day, open-hearted, ears tuned into him. You can breathe the ruah of life deep and strong and steady. You, you, can, you can play and you can pray this way with earnestness and intentionality and hopefulness. And you can love this way. You can care about people. You can be unconditional in your love and your care for them. And so today, God, as we, as we close this time, we are so glad that the spirit of the living God hovers over us, broods over us, tends to us, imprints on us. God, I just ask as we, as we sang today, as we saw this story so beautifully represented of the word with us, that that would change who we are how we think, and that we would move into the world as image bearers, indwelt by your spirit, so that the very grandeur of God goes with the church as the church walks out of here today. God, we, we ask for that. Help us to do that. Teach us more and more of yourself. May we, in relationship to you, move and live and breathe, and have our being with you. I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.
you're dismissed. We'll see you next week.